Welcome to the UP Notable Books Club, brought to you by the Upper Peninsula Publisher and Authors Association. Susanna Osima spent her childhood summers on Isle Royal. Her father was a park ranger and her mother was a park volunteer for many years. After moving away in her teens, she returned to work at Isle Royal as a seasonal ranger during her college years. There she met her husband Mike, also a ranger, in 1998. After serving as a Peace Corps volunteer in Guatemala, Susanna earned a master's degree in natural resources at the University of Wisconsin-Stevens Point, then worked as a permanent park ranger, focusing on educational outreach at Cura County National Recreation Area, Black Canyon of the Gunnison National Park, and Redwood National Park. Susanna took a break to be a stay-at-home mom after her son Jasper was born. She resumed her work on behalf of the national parks in 2015 as the membership outreach manager for the nonprofit Isle Royal and Keweenaw Parks Association. All proceeds from the sale of this book support these parks. I Spy Isle Royal was a 2020 Publication of the Year winner, awarded through the Public Lands Alliance. But anyways, um, Susanna, take it away. Start, start telling us about your book. Okay. Well, first of all, I'd just like to say thank you um, to Victor and to Evelyn. Can everybody hear me? Yes. Yeah. Hear me? Okay. It would, it would be a shame if I were on mute and didn't stop talking for a while. <laughs> um, so I would just like to say thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight. Um, I, they probably mentioned I have been on um, Isle Royal all summer, and our internet connection is even more unreliable than Evelyn's library internet connection. Mm-hmm. And I have not been able to attend any of, any of the other um, author talks. So this is my first time, so let me know if I go astray. Um, let's see, there are times when the sun is at a certain point that it interferes with TV and internet. Okay, um, so, but basically, um, let's see, I have just returned from the island on Saturday. My husband is a park ranger there, and so our son Jasper and I and my husband spend all summer out there, and, um, it's been a really, um, neat way for our son to grow up. And it's also been a neat way for me to kind of rekindle memories of my own childhood um, because I spent my summers on Isle Royal because my dad was a park ranger there. So I'll share a little bit more about that at the end. Um, But first, has anybody, um, raise your hand if you have, has anybody been to Isle Royal? Larry, okay. Maybe the group, that's great. Um, so I'll share a few photos of Isle Royal just so the rest of you can en- envision what the scenery is like. Um, you can kind of imagine it is a designated wilderness, almost 100%, about 99% of the island is designated wilderness. There are no cars on the island. So if you're trying to, um, to get um, from one place to another, um, you basically have to take a boat or use your own two feet. Let's see here. I'm just about to share my screen. Should I wait? Okay. So um, I spy Isle Royal. So tonight I'd just like to um, to talk a little bit about what it's like to live on Isle Royal, what it's like to raise a child there. Um, it is a very isolated national park uh, and there aren't very many other children on the island. As a matter of fact, there are no other children that live in the, the part of the island that we live in, which is Rock Harbor. And so uh, Jasper has quite a unique childhood there. And then I'd also like to talk a little bit about what inspired the creation of this book. 
Okay, so can you see that? So this is um, this is Isle Royal. This map can kind of give you a picture of where Isle Royal is situated in Lake Superior. You can see that it's much closer um, to Minnesota and to Canada than it is to Michigan. But the headquarters for Isle Royal National Park are in Houghton. So that's where the Ranger 3 ferry uh, docks. And that's where my family lives when we're not on Isle Royal. So you can see there, the Ranger 3 ferry takes six hours um, to get from Houghton out to Rock Harbor. So it's quite a journey. So here's the Ranger 3. And um, every year at the beginning of summer, we get one of these carts assigned to us and we have to fill it with everything that we're gonna need during the summer, including boxes and boxes and boxes of dried good food. And then we order our um, produce and dairy on uh, the Ranger 3 as, it, as we need it during the summer. So then um, on the other end, after six hours have passed, the cart gets unloaded and brought to our lodging. And you can see there's Jasper at age two as he's helping us unload. <laughs> um, we unload and then real life begins on the island. So this is the house where we were lucky enough to live for the last four summers. It's a historic cabin. And as you can see, it's just in a spectacular location overlooking the water with the sky above, a very dark sky. Um, so it's really been a spectacular place to, to be stationed. And now it's just gonna kind of automatically go through some photos of Jasper as he's been exploring the island starting at age two. Kind of a typical day in the life. Like I said, there are no other kids around. So he kind of just, <laughs> here we are camping and we always bring books with us. Jasper loves books. Oh, yeah, yeah. I wrote this one. Oh, here. I have to charge it every night because it spends so much time searching. When your dad is a park ranger, you're pretty likely to become a junior park ranger. Yeah, you had a nice birthday. Oh, Deborah? Oh, I don't know if she can. I think Deborah, I'm having, I can't seem to mute Deborah, but Deborah, can you mute yourself? Yeah, just a second. Perfect. Thank you. So now, so Jasper's, this is his, he just finished his eighth summer on Isle Royal. So here he is at age nine, he's become a lot more helpful in the backcountry when we go on our family adventures. Pretty much every weekend we're camping, canoeing, kayaking, and backpacking to get to really neat places. Hmm. He finds ways to entertain himself. And you'll see a, another book in the tent there. Hmm. 
this might be kind of gross, but it's science. We find it fascinating. Good shot. He loves to build nails and nails and driftwood. <laughs> Here he caught a damselfly. His homemade fishing pole there. Uh, just a couple more photos here. Thanks. We've had a lot of opportunities to observe wildlife out there. That's on one of the fire towers. Okay. So I'm going to stop the share and come back over. Okay, a lot of sun shining directly on me here. Um, so, be here. Um, so I, I had mentioned, and it, it might say this in the back of the book as well, that Isle Royal um, has significance for my family. Uh, my dad was a, a park ranger for his whole career. So when I was three years old, we moved from North Carolina where he worked at Cape Hatteras to Isle Royal. And my dad says that since it was way, it was way before the internet. And I mean, you could find books at libraries, but maybe there wasn't much written about Isle Royal. And so the way he tells it is he accepted the job to work at Isle Royal without realizing that it was an island in the middle of Lake Superior. So he brought his family, us, to Michigan and then didn't realize it was going to be so isolated, you know, a six hour ferry ride to get there and the, the ordeal you go through to get groceries every week. And so it was, it was unexpected. It had a lot of unexpected challenges for um, my family, but my parents made it work and we lived there for 11 years of my childhood. And then one day at dinner, I was taking a bite of a hamburger and my dad said, um, we're moving to Nebraska. And I, I was shocked by that and I was, heartbroken, the thought of leaving Isle Royal. Um, it was such an important part of who I was up until that point that, um, that it was heartbreaking to leave. So we moved. And then when I was in college, I did everything that I could do 
I majored in wildlife biology um, and I had internships that were preparing me to come back and work at Isle Royal as a seasonal park ranger. And so um, when I was, so one of those actually three summers during college, I came and I worked as one of the interpreters that you would meet, you know, at the Rock Harbor Visitor Center or if you've been to Windigo. Um, and that was wonderful. But one of the best things that came out of that, other than being able to reconnect with Isle Royal, was I met uh, Mike, who was another seasonal park ranger and years later um, became my husband. So, um, so I've had a lot of a lot of opportunities to explore the island first off as a child with my family and then with my friend at the time Mike um, for those three summers and then um, I joined the Peace Corps and moved to Guatemala and when I came back I went to graduate school in Wisconsin and got a degree in um, environmental education and interpretation and then moved to Colorado for my first job with the National Park Service, which was at Curaconte National Recreation Area. And I was in charge of um, environmental education in the schools and field trips to the national parks. So that was a wonderful job that I had for five years. Then my husband got his first permanent job in California. So I um, switched over to Redwood National Park and worked at a residential environmental education camp where the local students would come for three days and spend two nights with us. And we'd take them out into the redwood trees and they would have their kind of that moment of awe as they saw those tall trees, felt the wildness and the, the ancient forest. So then um, when Jasper was born, I stopped working out of the home gave up that career in rangering and um, dedicated myself to raising him. But I had never um, stopped kind of imagining a future where our family would be able to replicate that childhood experience that I had. It, it seemed very unlikely that an opportunity like that would come along. But when Jasper was um, just before he turned two, the island announced a job that would fit my husband's qualifications. And so um, we moved back to Michigan and went to Isle Royal. So it kind of came full circle where, and all of our, our dreams were realized where we were able to live as a family in that place that has so much significance for both my husband and, and me. And now for Jasper too, after he spent all of these years there. Um, so when he was about maybe three years old, um, I just started writing some of these little verses. He, like I've mentioned a couple times, he loved it when we would read books to him. And it was my background in environmental education. Um, it was just fun to kind of write these verses and, um, and then add some of the content to it. And at first it was just for Jasper and um, then I started to think there are so many children, families, but especially children in these gateway communities to Isle Royal that don't have the opportunity to visit the island. Because as those of you who've been there know, it's really, it involves a lot of logistics, getting onto the ferry, you know, planning, bringing all of your food and camping equipment to get out to the island. It's just not a trip that very many of the local families are able to do unless they have their own private boat. 
And so I was thinking through a book like this, it would provide an introduction to Isle Royale and share with them some of the significance that folks who come from afar, from around the world, people come to Isle Royale, and it would kind of give these local kids a chance to see um, what a visit to Isle Royale is all about, why it's special, and why people went to the great effort to preserve it. Um, so those thoughts were kind of going through my head, but you know, as somebody who's never even looked into publishing a book before, where do you begin? Um, you've all, or a lot of you have been through that process. So um, I, I was at a little coffee group one day and some of you may know Candy Peterson, Rolf and Candy Peterson do the Wolf Moose research on, on Isle Royal. And um, I had, I put all of the, the verses and some photographs in and printed it off as a Shutterfly book. And I just showed Candy because she raised her kids out there too. And I said, this is just a little thing I put together. And she immediately said, oh, this is something that, um, that should be published. And I thought, well, where do, you, where do you even go to do something like that? But it was with her encouragement that I contacted the Isle Royal and Keweenaw Parks Association and um, kind of presented it as an option. They try to publish a book every year or every two years, something related to Isle Royal or Keweenaw National Historical Park. And, um, and they liked the idea. So um, together, well, when I, when I showed Jasper that Shutterfly book, I think he liked the sound of the, uh, he was about three at the time, maybe four. And um, he liked the sound of the, the poetic verse, but the photographs that I had in there um, didn't really appeal to him, I think. And I realized that when you look at children's books, some of them do have photographs, but most have some other media, other medium. And so I have a lot of really, I wrote this in the back of the book, but I have a lot of very artistic friends, one in particular who I thought, oh man, if she would illustrate my book, oh, it would just be wonderful. So I approached her and asked, and she had two little girls and several part-time jobs and lives in way across the country and she just and it was a pro bono project you know there would be no payment for it so she wasn't able to do it and I thought um maybe you know I have never had an art class or anything but I thought I have a paintbrush and I have some pictures and maybe I'll just kind of try so I would sit there in the evenings overlooking you know the beauty of the island and Lake Superior and just kind of dry sketching something and then kind of painting in the lines and, and eventually came up with some illustrations that, um, or some watercolors that, that made it into the book. And so that was pretty exciting. So then IRCPA or the, the Isle Royale and Keweenaw Parks Association um, published it a couple of years ago. And it's just been kind of exciting to, to see that. Um, and I'm hoping we, um, in order to get it into the hands of the local kids, um, the National Park Service has a, has a grant fund and we wrote a grant that would enable me um, to be able to go into the local classrooms of kindergarten and first graders and be able to um, give a little lesson about Isle Royal and then um, read the book and give each student a copy to bring home. And so the money was available last year and I'm hoping that 
since we weren't able to do it during COVID, I'm hoping that that'll be available this fall so that kind of the other part of this goal will be accomplished where the local kids can get to know Isle Royal a little bit without actually having to go there. So does anybody have any questions? I love the book. I think it's really, it's really neat the way you put it together. And I, I think um, it's exciting, the idea of going in to talk to the classrooms. Um, this past, we were lucky enough, there's a local um, organization here in Crystal Falls that has been given us, has granted us grant money. Larry, one of Larry's books, Chogan, um, the grant covered for all the kids to have a copy of that in third and fourth grade. I wanted to just mention, because you were talking about the Redwoods. Do you know about this book? I think, was it written by Carrie, somebody? Yes. So this is, a, I think I have. And for all of you guys out there listening, this is, a, she's another UP author. And she did some um, research and she wrote about the Redwoods in California. And the book is just amazing. Through that same grant, we got a copy of each one of these books for our kids here in Crystal Falls. But it just has this cool pull. Wait, do I have, I have it backwards? <laughs> a cool pull out of just how, how big they are and all the little animals and stuff. So it so is cool, yeah. That's something, Susanna, that you know you could reach out to. I'm sure there are people that would help make that happen because I think you're right. It would be really good for those local kids to know about Isle Royal through your book and a visit. Susanna, yeah. I have a question. It's not so much about your book, but about Isle Royal. How much damage is being done by the fire? Um, well, when it first was discovered, it was in a place um, on a peninsula where it wasn't going to have any effect on structures or on people. And so the park had decided to let it burn for maybe a week and a half but they brought in somebody to monitor it. And then all of a sudden one evening, the winds had been really blowing all day. And um, then that evening, uh, my husband and one of the other rangers went out around the end of the island and they went to Duncan Bay where the fire could, was visible and they saw it really kind of growing, um, going up into the canopy a bit. And then when they started coming back around into Rock Harbor, they passed the end of Tobin Harbor, where there's a lot of historic cabins um, that are on the National Registry. And all of a sudden, they saw that one that the flame had climbed up to the top of the Greenstone Ridge, and then an ember had flown across this fairly big body of water. I'd say it was maybe 300, I don't know, a quarter mile or something. This ember had traveled and made it to a couple of those islands and started burning. And so then that at that point, when there's a structure or human life at risk, that's when the National Park Service actually starts to, to, to contain it and try to put it out. And so on those islands, they had to evacuate a couple of families that live in the historic cabins for part of the summer. And um, they were able to um, get enough personnel there to be able to put out the fires that were um, licking at the floorboards of, in my opinion, the most spectacular of those historic cabins. So in that case, they do try to put them out. So you asked about damage. 
um, then they they obviously try to contain it to a place where it's not going to impact human life or structures. And then they are allowed to just, or are able and kind of encouraged to just let it burn um, because obviously fire is an important part of rejuvenation of the forest. So um, I think I, the last I saw the fire was maybe 450 acres and it was 85% contained. So big for Isle Royal standards, because there hasn't been a fire on the island, a wildfire in a long time. Um, Laura asks, how do you prepare yourself for staying on Isle Royal? And I saw another question was how many people visit the island? So um, about 18 to 20,000 people visit Isle Royal each summer. Um, so it's the least visited national park but, the, but folks tend to stay for three to five days. Um, you, you go to a lot of effort to get there and there's a lot to do once you're there. And so it's a long visit, but not, not many people visit each year. And so to prepare ourselves, um, it, I have a lot of lists. I'm a, I'm a list maker. And so the first couple of years, you know, you kind of have a learning curve after that, it's not as much learning as it is just a lot of work to stay organized. So usually little by little, I kind of got a second set of all of the key items. So I would just leave like the, all of the kitchenware, all of the bedding and towels out there. And then um, I had my mission, you know, my mainland set. So I didn't have to pack up the home so completely to go out. Um, but um, every year in April, I just start buying as many dry goods as I can, packing box after box after box. And I have these long lists and I check off, you know, how many boxes I have. So I'll, I'll know how, what to anticipate for the future summers. And, um, and then we load them all onto the cart and, and head out. So it's a process. And there was a family who lived there for one summer. They had four kids. And I think it didn't help that when they were riding the ferry, it was really rough and everybody got sick in their family. And so they did not come back the next summer. They said, this is not for us. It's a little too remote. And folks either tend to love it and be able to adapt to that type of lifestyle and stay for many years, you know, 20 to 30 years, or, um, they experience it and say, oof, this is a lot of work and then transfer to a different place. <laughs> I have a question for Susanna. Maria, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, I'm curious as to how this book has influenced Jasper um, to Two questions here. Does he see his future in uh, forestry or, you know, the park service? Or is he looking maybe into marketing? And do you use him as a marketing tool <laughs> with your book? It's funny that you ask that because I'm going to try to find a place where I'm not directly in the sun. Um, he's a very social little person. And so I work for the Isle Royal and Keweenaw Parks Association very part-time. And so when I'm on the island working in the visitor center, 
Um, ever since he was about four years old, he would just wait outside the visitor center. And when the people would get off of the ferries, he would befriend any little kid, you know, if it was a tiny child or a teenager, he would go up to them and say, hi, my name is Jasper and I live here. Do you want to be my friend? <laughs> and book came out, he would kind of give them that line. And then he'd say, and look at this book. This is me on the front cover. <laughs> so I think he has marketed it to a certain extent. Um, he's pretty proud. Um, I think of seeing himself there and knowing what his role was in creating it and loves to talk about Isle Royal with people too. But in terms of my dad was a park ranger and I was a park ranger and my husband is a park ranger. So it runs in the family. So I don't know if Jasper will, he's definitely interested in nature, but who knows what he'll decide to do with his life. <laughs> I saw some other questions pop up here. Let me see if I can find them again. Charlene had a question. Charlene. Oh, yes. I was just wondering, and I think you might have mentioned it right at the beginning, but where, where do you spend the other half of the year? We're in Hancock, Michigan. So the, the okay. headquarters are in Houghton, and we're right across the bridge in Hancock. Okay, thank you. Okay. Yeah. So one question is, does anyone stay on the island all year? That's from the chat. Um, so the answer is no. Um, my the my husband, he's the East District Ranger, and so his he basically gets out there within a week or so of the of when the park opens, which is mid-April. And um, there are a handful of maintenance folks that go at that time of year to get all of the buildings up and running. And so my husband goes out then, and then he stays out all summer through April, May, June, July, August, September, October. And then the park officially closes, um, the island part of the park closes on October 31st. And so at that point, um, it's just him and one other person, one other law enforcement ranger, and they circumnavigate the island and make sure that there's nobody there because partly, you know, for legalities that it's closing and partly because it's wild. Have you heard the story of Charlie and Angelique Mott? Has anybody heard that? Um, this was a long time ago. Back I put when it online. What? I put it online. Oh, did you? Um, it's an interesting, yes. story, a true story that um, they were, Angelique was a Native American lady married to Charlie Mott. And so they were approached by um, a mine, um, um, somebody who had made a mining claim maybe. And they said, can you go out and guard to Isle Royal? We'll bring you out to Isle Royal. Can you guard our claim throughout the winter? We'll make sure that you have enough food. We'll, we'll drop off a load of food before the snow falls. And so they went out with a little bit of food and the boat never showed up. And so Charlie went crazy and was going to kind of try to kill Angelique to eat her. So she protected herself. He ended up dying of starvation. And then she was able to, using her skills, which is just amazing, she was able to um, catch enough food, you know, making, I think she made snares from her hair and survived. She survived the, that experience, that ordeal. So nowadays, nobody lives there. Um, during the winter, um, my husband comes back, the island closes down. And then in usually in, I think, late January and throughout February, there's a very small group of, of researchers that go out. They're based out of the west end of the island, Windigo, 
and um, Rolf Peterson and some of the others, um, they do an aerial survey on the on the on the planes, seaplanes that have skis. What do you call those? Um, they do their surveys, and um, in, in recent years, they've been um, putting radio collars on some of the moose as well. So those researchers are out there for a maximum of seven weeks during the winter, but other than that, nobody's there during the winter. That leads us to the next question from Frank. He would like you to tell us a story about one of the times you've seen a moose. Ooh, so let's see. I've had a lot of moose encounters um, and usually they're very peaceful. And normally during the main part of the summer, they're very docile, um, but when they have their calves at the beginning of the summer in May, the mothers can be very protective. They are very protective of the calves. So if you get between the cow and the calf, um, she's not gonna be happy about it. And so right when I got back to Isle Royal, um, I was just kind of getting to know the people. It was, I think my first day back on the island after being away for six years. And um, Mike, who I didn't know at the time, who became my husband, he walked into the house where I was living and said, hey, does anybody want to see a moose? And um, another gal and I said, oh, I want to see a moose. I thought, oh, wow, you know, it reminds me of my childhood when I used to see moose. And so we followed him out of the house and started walking down the trail. And a little ways down the trail, he said, um, I should probably mention that um, the moose that I'm taking you to see is an angry cow. And the reason she's angry is because she's her her calf was stillborn. And so she's guarding this calf. But we're all wildlife biology majors. And so we thought, well, this will still be interesting. So we kept going down the trail and, and he led us off at one point. We started kind of going into the woods and got to an opening and he said, this is where the calf was. This is really weird. I don't, I don't know where it is. This is where it was. And as we're looking around, all of a sudden we heard a branch snap and we turned and looked and there was the angry cow and she had her ears back and her hackles up and her head down and she was looking at us. And I grew up, like I've said, I grew up on Isle Royal and I know what to do when, you, when there's a moose and you're trying to evade it you go behind a tree and it can't, they don't see very well. And so my natural instinct was to go behind a tree. Mike, who did eventually become my husband, but not due to this, he started running. <laughs> and so he and this other gal ran away from this moose, which I don't know in moose if that triggers a predatory, I mean, it wouldn't trigger a predatory instinct, but it encouraged it to run too. And so, I, I just remember it was kind of slow motion all of a sudden where I turned and looked at that angry moose and I turned back and looked at Mike and he said, Susanna, you gotta run. And so I just took off running through the forest following him. And then I got to this big log and I was kind of straddling this log and I took a breather and I looked behind me and the cow stopped and she had her hackles up still and was looking and breathing heavy. And um, then I looked back at Mike and still in slow motion, he said, keep running. <laughs> so I threw my leg over that log and I kept running as fast as I could. And miraculously, I made it without falling over all of the, the debris in the forest. When I got to the other side, um, she had given up and went back, I guess, to guard the calf. Um, 
so that was one of the one of the times I saw a moose. <laughs> this summer, actually, we were able to see. I've I've been out there twenty three summers, and this was the first time that I ever saw a wolf. That was the picture that I included in that presentation. Um, it's um, we think that it was probably one of last year's wolf pups that were born on the island. And there might've been two or three of those new wolf pups that were on the East end, maybe just trying to figure out what the lay of the land was. And so we um, were on our little, we had a tiny little fold up motorboat and we were going down the channel toward Mosque Basin. And I looked over on a rocky outcropping and I said, there's a wolf. And luckily we were able to kind of just pause in the water and zoom in with the camera. And we saw this wolf just kind of running along the trail. Um, and we saw it, we watched it for maybe two minutes and then it came down into the water and drank a little bit and then wandered off and jogged down toward Rock Harbor, where, um, which is a developed area. And I'd say dozens of people had not encounters necessarily. None of them were negative encounters, but dozens of people saw the wolf or wolves and um, the wolves were not as afraid of humans as we would have expected them to be. But then after two or three weeks, they went back into the wild and people stopped seeing them. I have one question. Um, if a person, you know, it's funny because, you know, I'm like many people on the call, I've I lived in the Upper Peninsula all my life, but I don't really know how you can go to Isle Royale or how does it work? Like, can you tell people who would, would like to Royal what, how, I mean, I've heard different things or do you have to stay there a week? Like, I don't really know the truth. I don't even know. Yeah. Um, so you can go to Isle Royale on a private boat if you have one um, or one of the four different ferries. So two of the ferries go from Grand Portage, Minnesota to the west end of the island. And one ferry goes from Copper Harbor, Michigan to the East End. And then there's the Ranger 3 that goes from Houghton, Michigan to the East End. And um, one of the boats from, from Minnesota actually circumnavigates the island and spends a night at Rock Harbor and then goes back along the South Shore, um, stops in Windigo again before it hits Grand Portage. So if you're coming from Minnesota, you can um, get dropped off at, at various places around the island and then start your adventure there. But um, most folks, um, at least on the East End where I'm most familiar, they'll come on the Queen or on the Ranger 3 and then either do a canoeing trip or a um, backpacking trip. Um, you know, the typical is three to five days. But there's also in recent years that um, the Isle Royale seaplane business has really taken off. And so, on any given day, there would be, they have three different seaplanes and they'd bring, um, you know, four or five people on each plane and each plane might come or you might get 20 or 25 people a day that come on the seaplanes as well. And a lot of those folks tend to be day visitors. So um, they have an experience on the island, but it's more limited to the, to kind of that immediate vicinity of Rock Harbor or Windigo. So there's also a lodge at Rock Harbor. Um, and so you can, if you're not a camper, 
um, then you can stay at the lodge. And usually not during COVID, but usually there's a boat called the MV Sandy that you can use. Um, you can go out on four hour excursions to a lighthouse or um, to see the moose and wolf bones at Rolf Peterson's cabin. Um, you can go out to Passage Island Lighthouse. Um, so there are various day trips that you can take while being based out of Rock Harbor as well. Thank you. Yeah. Said, oh, this is Mary. You said that you fill a cart with everything you need. Do you only get one cart? Um, you could, I'm sure if you were just at the beginning of your tenure on Isle Royal, they'd give you two, <laughs> but typically fairly limited at the beginning of the season because um, there are so many folks starting to move out. And I don't know if you noticed it in that picture, but it's amazing when you're standing there because I've been in the cargo hold of the Ranger 3 and it's not very big. Do you remember that picture that I showed where there were all the carts lined up? Yes. It's like, um, you know, when you go to a circus and you see all the clowns climbing out of the car, that's what it's like when you see all of these carts coming out of the Ranger 3, the tractor drags them all out. And it's like, there's really must be a method that they have to, to be able to load those all onto the Ranger 3. But there, there is a limit to how much you can bring with you. Yeah. You kind of realize you don't need as much to, it's kind of to be able to simplify like last winter, um, my husband had an opportunity to, to work in Big Bend National Park um, as a, they needed a, somebody to fill in for four months. And so our whole family, since my son was live streaming at the time, we moved out to Big Bend and we have a Prius. And so everything that we needed for those four months had to fit into the Prius along with the three human beings. And so we got out there and they had a house for us and it had the very basic furnishings. But other than that, you know, it was just, those few items that we could pack into our car. And we lived very happily, a very simple life. <laughs> and then we came home and I was like, why do I have all this stuff? <laughs> um, yes, um, my husband and I went there many years ago with our children. We left from Copper Harbor and we stayed at the lodge and we took day trips. And it was a okay. really nice vacation for us. I think we were there three nights or four nights, but we got to explore the island and uh, we didn't have to worry about uh, carrying all the gear and everything. And it, it was a wonderful experience. So a family could do it without having to have all the, um, all the gear that you might think you might need. Right, yep, it's definitely possible to do it that way too. The, the lodge this year, they were at 50% capacity due to COVID. And so I've heard um, that this year they booked up really quickly and next season, I think they're pretty much all booked up already. So if you do plan to use the lodge, um, definitely look into reservations in advance. We have one question on the chat. Um, Laura's asking, where is Big Bend? Oh, Big Bend um, is, I call it South Texas, but people from Texas say that's West Texas. So. It's in the state of Texas, but it's um, it's right along the Rio. The Rio Grande forms its southernmost border. So when you go to very southern part of Big Bend National Park and you walk across the river, then you're in Mexico. 
And something that um, we actually just found out, Isle Royal has been a wonderful home to us for, um, you know, as I said, my childhood. And then when I worked there and now these eight summers that we've, that we've lived here, um, but we're pretty excited that we're going to have a new opportunity. Um, my husband just accepted a job at Acadia National Park. And so we're going to be moving there in a couple of months, moving there permanently. <laughs> so we're excited about that. But it's bittersweet, you know, to say goodbye to a place that is so significant in your life. Wow, very nice. So where is Arcadia? Acadia is in Maine, right on the coast of Maine. Whoa, you're gonna love that. <laughs> yeah, I think the scenery is pretty similar. Well, not, it's, it's similar because it has the rocky shorelines, um, but it'll be really fun to go canoeing or kayaking and have the porpoises um, come up to the surface and to be able to look in tide pools. And it is a lot more mountainous than, than this region is as well. So similar, they get some, you know, they're gorgeous fall colors like we have here in the UP. Um, so it's just exciting. When you work for the National Park Service, it's, it's kind of like this neat opportunity you have to be able to move to different places and yet have your job come along with you um, in a way you don't lose the benefits like you would if you were, you know, a teacher where if you move from one state to the next, I think you kind of start at the bottom level. The National Park Service is a neat way to be able to see the country if you choose to, to say yes to the opportunities that come along. Laura says you have to write another book about your new adventure. <laughs> Maybe. I have one question though. How many people live on um, Isle Royal in the summer, like permanent people? Because there must be these lodge people, yourself. Yeah. So um, I'd say in terms of National Park Service staff, there are probably maybe 30, I'd say, this, and this is just off the top of my head, maybe 30 permanent staff. And when I say permanent, I mean the folks who also work year round out of the Houghton headquarters. Um, and then there's probably maybe 50 or 60 seasonal folks that come to do the hands-on research or to work in the visitor centers. Um, by far, most of the folks that are employed at Isle Royal are seasonal, but then there's also the concessionaire um, on both the east and west ends where they operate the lodge and, um, you know, take people out on the MV Sandy and um, do the housekeeping for the lodge and work at the restaurant. So there's probably 20 to 30 of those folks as well that stay all summer long. Wow. Yeah, quite a number. Yeah, interesting. Well, are there any other questions out there or comments before we let Susanna go? Thank you for this opportunity. And I'm gonna go back through and, um, and watch some of the presentations that I missed while I was on Isle Royal. <laughs> yeah. well, I, I wanna go back and watch your pictures again myself. I don't know about others, okay. they're pretty beautiful. So thank it's, you it's very, a nice place. very much. And I just wanna encourage people, um, if you haven't been to that website for the Isle, is it the Isle Royal Keweenaw Parks and Recreation? Is that what it's called? It's called the Isle Royal and Keweenaw Parks Association. It's it's really neat. And they have a store. And that's where you can, of course, buy, buy her book, but all kinds of other neat books and things. 
I bought a beautiful book for our library all about ice fishing, which is really neat because, you know, you don't see a lot of kids books about ice fishing. And, you know, like you were saying, that was something that I did when I was growing up. So it's neat to be able to put these kinds of books in our libraries. So thank you very much. And if you if you are looking for some neat gifts or you want to learn more, I think that's a great website to visit. And it, I'll just mention that it is the, the partner organization for both Isle Royal and um, our other local national park, which is Keweenaw National Historical Park. And so the proceeds from the sales um, online and in the visitor centers, those proceeds go back to support the research and the, um, the outreach for the, for the national park itself. Yeah. And I bought some beautiful note cards that, that I don't know if I'm saying right, Ralph Peterson. Ralph, yeah. Of, mm -hmm the wolf work that he does up there. So I've learned a lot just by, you know, getting you to come on and doing this extra research. So it's been really kind of neat for me and I think for, for everybody else too. So thank you very much, Susanna. Thank you, everybody. It was nice to see you. Thanks for all of your questions. <laughs> You've been watching the UP Notable Books Club brought to you by the Upper Peninsula Publisher and Authors Association. To join or for more information, please visit us at www.upa.org or www.upnotable.com.